This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Today, I want to have a very robust discussion about the environment, about creation care, as some have termed it. I want to talk about everything from global warming to greenhouse gases, from sustainable agriculture to environmental justice. These are all terms that many of us have heard in increasing form and frequency uh, from news, from pundits, from politicians. And to be honest with you, some of us as Christians think of these terms as entirely secular, having nothing to do with the gospel. So where should Christians agree? Where should we disagree with those who take the environment seriously? How should we think about care for the creation? We're going to talk about that and so much more today. I'm very excited about a resource that I want to highly commend to you. It's called Stewards of Eden, what the scripture has to say about the environment and why it matters. Friends, there are going to be topics in particular an election year that are going to be talked about in intense and increasing frequency. We need to be aware, I think, as we consider how we can best serve our fellow citizens in this country in this upcoming year. I think one of the ways we can do that is by understanding the categories and policy discussions that are happening that are going to be really the pillar discussions of the next year and having enough of an informed biblical perspective that when we go to vote, we won't be confused by what's at stake, and we'll be able to cast our vote from an informed perspective. But even more than just elections, even more than just in a year like we find ourselves in, these discussions are important from an eschatological perspective. And when I say that, I mean that they're important to the heart of God, to his redemptive story, and to the future of all things. Today, I get a chance to talk about this wonderful resource, The Stewards of Eden, by someone who I've often referred to as one of uh, my favorite and most respected theologians. I'm referring to none other than Dr. Sandra Richter. She holds the Robert H. Gundry Chair of Old Testament at Westmont College. Dr. Richter combines history, archaeology, geography, and ancient Near East languages to bring the Old Testament to life by exploring the real people and real places from which it comes. Her scholarly work is broad and far too extensive for me to say in any bre- with any brevity in this introduction, but I will simply commend her work to you. In particular, and more germane for today, Stewards of Eden. Dr. Richter, how are you? 
Hey, I am great and even better that I get to be on your podcast today. So, I appreciate Chris, thanks so that. Much for the invitation. Yeah. Talk about your work at uh, before we dive in the book at, at <laughs> Westmont and uh, the good work that uh, the Lord, by His grace, has you doing there. Mm, thanks for that. Um, I've been at Westmont about seven years at this point. It is one of our coalition of Christian liberal arts colleges uh, in the tradition of Wheaton and Biola and Gordon, depending on where your listeners are in the country. And we're doing our best to um, integrate the disciplines of uh, contemporary education with a, a Christian worldview and help our students uh, deal with the great questions of life. We, we actually don't uh, require our students to uh, be Christians coming into the college. So we've got, we've got a mix in the classroom, which in some ways is even more exciting. And uh, I teach Old Testament, Hebrew, drag students to Israel on a regular basis. This semester, yeah. I've got some Deuteronomy going and even more exciting, we just launched, uh, just launched like 10 days ago, uh, a certificate in theological leadership, which wow. is a name for a first year of seminary. And mm. we've got our first cohort going through and they're great human beings. So that's great. Um, that's fun, too. Well, thanks for investing your time, talent and treasure into uh, developing the next generation of leaders, uh, not only for the local church, but really across every sector of society. I want to talk today about what it means to be an environmentalist. Your mm-hmm. book starts with that question in the introduction, can a Christian be an environmentalist? Now, I just preface this question by saying that so often when we hear this term, we think of environmentalism and we think of an entire worldview, an entire school of thought, and maybe from a derogatory sense, tree huggers and uh, those who uh, would even prioritize the care of the creation above the submission to the laws of the creator. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with that question. We'll get to all of that, no doubt, in this discussion, but let's just start with it on the surface. Can a Christian be an environmentalist? Well, I sure hope so, because I'm one. <laughs> um, that, that is such, um, such a difficult question for so many um, who claim citizenship in the kingdom. And uh, yes. as, as I say in the introduction, why has it become a difficult question? Why is the church the historical moral compass of society so paralyzed on this question and i offer three responses one is politics and specifically american politics mm. uh politics in uh, the uk uh, i i gave a lecture at the london school of theology a couple of years back and titled the lecture just that can a christian be an environmentalist and everyone who walked through the door was like what a, conf- what a what an unnecessary title. Of course, Christians <laughs> are environmentalists. And, and in the UK, the political parties are busy scrambling, trying to prove who's greener. Um, how intriguing. So in our country, in the States, we've wound up, as I'm sure you deal with on a daily basis, this 
severe polarization of our political yes. parties. And the church is busy trying to figure out which party it should ally with. And my answer to that question is that citizens of the kingdom are citizens of the kingdom. And there is not a political party out there that is ever going to satisfy the demands of the kingdom of God. And we're, we're going to have to fly higher than that. And in flying higher than that, um, uh, allowing ourselves to polarize over, oh my gosh, the Republicans are pro-life and the Democrats aren't. And therefore, as a Christian, I have to ally with the Republicans. And because environmentalism typically lands in the Democratic camp, I can't be an environmentalist. And I, uh, I invite uh, our brothers and sisters to uh, step past American politics long enough to catch a glimpse of kingdom politics. So that's one answer. The other answer is that we as uh, really privileged Westerners, or at least most of us, in, when it comes to the global economy, are privileged. Um, we don't see the impact of environmental degradation on the widow and the orphan. We don't see what's happening with the Ganges River in India. We don't see what deforestation is doing to the poor in Haiti. We don't see the impact of um, really uh, um, predatory industrial abuse in places like Madagascar, again, mm. on the impoverished. So we don't see this as an issue of care for the widow and the orphan. So I address that one. And then the third one, of course, is that great theological question. If it is all going to burn anyway, why am I busy defending the rainforest in the Amazon? Yeah, I think that all three of those issues do come into play. I, I certainly see them pastorally. You, you see them mm -hmm. as an academic and a professor. Uh, these are things that we encounter frequently, but yet underneath the stereotypes and sometimes even straw man arguments are real and very serious questions about the environment. Uh, I would also mm -hmm. say that there are also <clears throat> some real and very serious conclusions or recommendations that often come part and parcel with concerns. And I bring this up to say that one of the things that I've seen quite often, uh, Dr. Richter, are people who will say, you know what, I take the concern seriously that mm -hmm. cl climate change is impacting our world, that mm -hmm. env environmental abuse has a detrimental effect on many. But I don't mm -hmm. therefore conclude or agree with the conclusion that the best way to respond to that is population control in particular, mm -hmm. limit, limiting birth rates in poor countries and among among poor people as if their lives have a lesser intrinsic value than lives mm -hmm. in the West. So I think those mm -hmm. tensions often are at play. Uh, let me ask this question before we take our first break, and that is why did this become important for you from a scholarly mm -hmm. perspective as an area that you wanted to serve the body of Christ in? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. There, there are really many answers to it. Um, my own journey into faith, uh, be, I, I had always been a human being 
who was deeply impacted by the beauty and balance of God's creation. And when I first came to faith, I was told by my little house church resulting from the Jesus movement back in the 70s. Yeah, this is going way back. That, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, you know, bald eagles, whooping cranes, um, uh, uh, African um, unique species, that these things were important, but souls were more important. So uh, put your environmental concerns to the side and get out there and win souls. And that sure, never sure. quite never quite sat right with me. And as I delved more into the biblical text, you know, I'm getting a degree from ministry, then I'm going to seminary, then I'm doing a PhD, and I'm becoming an expert in biblical law. I was struck by the fact that biblical law is deeply concerned about sustainable environmental practices. And this law is coming from the Iron Age and before. So how in the world could I reconcile this idea that environmental concern doesn't matter when Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the Covenant Code seem to think it does? So that was one issue. Um, yeah. <clears throat> another one uh, was uh, when I first went to Wheaton College, uh, Kristen Page, who is one of the endowed professors there in biology, and I... Uh, applied for a grant and started teaching a course on environmentalism for the Christian. And we entitled it um, just that, subtext, the Bible and biology. And what fun, you know, all these fabulous weedies sitting in front of us wanting to ask that question. And as she and I collaborated from our different disciplines, we both learned a great deal. But probably the most profound thing I learned was in the first day of class. And uh, Chris, everyone out there has had this experience. A professor is standing in front of the classroom. Okay, new class, new grant. Um, mm -hmm. Let's go around the room. Everyone introduce themselves. Tell us who you are, what your uh, major is, and why you decided to take this class. Well, there are 25 fabulous, young, biblically sensitive, morally informed Wheaton College students sitting in front of us. And Chris, every one of them had the same reason for taking the class. And as the, yeah, as the testimony started repeating, it went like this, you know, my name is so-and-so, this is my major. I um, have always been deeply impacted by the beauty of God's creation. Um, and they had a list of different ways that they were impacted. You know, some came from the mountains, some from the ocean, some were campers, some were hikers. Uh, they said, but I never understood that my faith and my concern for God's creation could actually be in alliance. And I'm here wow. to find out how that might be. Yeah. And when it went yeah. all the way around the room and Chris and I looked at each other, we're like, same testimony. How yes. is it that I can, I can be a Christian and I can be concerned about God's good creation at the same time? And Well, you know, I, I hope... Yeah. I hope that today we're able to paint a picture for every one of our listeners that it is possible to be a Christian and to care deeply about God's creation. I hope we can also help pastors and leaders of God's mm. people to get language and to understand a theology that will allow you to teach what the Bible has to say about creation care. So can we create a biblical theology about this? 
I think we can. I think there is a strong biblical theology. So does Dr. Richter. We'll talk about that right after our break. Next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Friends, I want to take a moment to invite you to our next Equipper webinar coming up on Thursday, February 1st, right after the program. With the spread of Islam, it's crucial that you and I are equipped to think and speak biblically about this religion. And I'll also explain the history and teaching of the Muslim faith. Bring your questions and join the discussion about understanding Islam. Equippers, look for an email from me with the registration details for this free interactive webinar. Now, if you're not an equipper and want to attend, become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today we're talking about the environment. Maybe you have questions about global warming, about greenhouse gases, about sustainable agriculture, environmental justice, and so much more. How should a Christian think about these things? What does the Bible have to say? Feel free to chime in on our social media platforms, but also give us a call. We'd love for you to join the conversation, 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. My guest today, Dr. Sandra Richter. Dr. Richter uh, is professor of Old Testament at Westmont College and also the author of Stewards of Eden, what scripture has to say about the environment and why it matters. Let's take a call from Chet, who's listening in Lake Wells, Florida. Uh, Chet, thank you so much for listening to Equip. What's your comment? Well, two comments. First of all, uh, I would respectfully encourage all Christians to be environmentalists because that's the way we were made in Genesis 1 and 2. We were made to take care of his creation, and not to do that is against who God made us to be and who he is. And secondly, Philippians 2 talks to us about citizenship of heaven. That word citizenship comes from a Greek word where we get politics. It says our politics are in heaven, not in this earth. Thank you. Thank you, Chet, for giving us a call. Uh, Chet should have been our co-host today, uh, Dr. Richter. Uh, He set up the next question uh, perfectly for me, and that is, can there be, or is there rather, a biblical theology uh, of the environment? And yes, and amen. And as you said, Chet was the perfect segue. Uh, the biblical theology of being environmentally concerned starts where every other biblical theology begins, which is in the blueprint offered to us in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, If your uh, listeners have ever bumped into my Epic of Eden, they know very well that that's where I and other biblical theologians would argue all biblical theology starts in Eden. And what is our role in Eden? Uh, Humanity, both male and female, are put in charge of creation. Uh, That seven-day format communicates loud and clear that Yahweh, the creator himself, is the Lord of creation, but the sixth day, his stewards have been been put in charge of all of the beauty and um, complexity and balance that Yahweh has created. 
And as as I say in the book, we're we're set up as stewards. Let's translate that into a, a modern terminology. We're renters. We are not owners. <laughs> this stuff all belongs to someone else. And that someone else is our creator. And yes, we've been given dominion, but we've been given dominion that is supposed to echo his dominion. And as the biblical law codes make so clear, he's deeply concerned about sustainable agriculture, environmental terrorism, the well-being of the wild and the domestic creature. So if we are truly going to be made in his image and behave accordingly, we've got to pick that task back up of being stewards of his creation. So that's where it begins. Let's talk through, though, the chapters of um, redemptive, uh, the redemptive story. Some would mm-hmm. say there's four chapters. Others would say uh, there, there's a fifth chapter. Uh, but if we, if we used uh, the four-chapter mm-hmm. kind of framework of uh, mm-hmm. creation and fall, redemption, and consummation, how would you walk us through the scriptural story of creation? Mm. Um, and as you know, I use more of a, a six-chapter approach because I walk there through the go. biblical covenants. There we but, go, yes. But I can, I can do four. Um, so, uh, so creation, as I've said, we are set up as uh, God's representatives on this planet and given responsibility for everything that moves and breathes on this planet. With the fall, our relationship to God himself, to each other, and to this planet is fractured. And that fracturing on it is, is addressed when we get to the Noahic covenant, right? Because we hear the reiteration of the creation language that Noah and his family are given a level of dominion again, but the dominion now comes in a broken world. And so now there's going to be laws about murder. And now the green table set in Eden is going to become a red table. Now animals are going to be afraid of and a potential predator of humanity. So these things have shifted, but we can hear in God's redemptive plan that his ultimate goal is to get Adam and Eve back into the garden. So we're going to walk through that fall knowing that God's ultimate goal is to get Adam and Eve back in the garden, to get humanity back into the Father's household, to reestablish Eden in the new heavens and the new earth. So the law codes of Israel, the incarnation of the new covenant, are all expressions of our creator moving us back toward the original plan. But as you and I know so well, We can't accomplish that redemption on our own. Rather, uh, God the Son is uh, planning and uh, has scheduled already his return to this dimension where a new heaven and a new earth will be rebirthed, as will a new Adam, Adam and Eve, will be rebirthed. And we are going to be placed once again in a recreated garden. That's Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And we're going to start this plan all over again. So in the midst of that, the question that you're asking me is, where does humanity's stewardship of creation come in? We are in a fallen world. This Relationships are fractured. And yet what we see, both in the laws offered to Israel and the expressions offered to the church, 
we are still responsible for God's created world. And that's what the book walks us through chapter by chapter. So if you had to, Dr. Richter, and thank you for that summary, if you have to, if you had to state a, a, a sum, make a summary statement of our primary responsibility to creation as stewards, what would it be? Yeah. And let me say, I like the way you phrase that. Our primary responsibility, as Chet has already told us, is to be citizens of another kingdom, which is what makes us a peculiar people, right? And we are always tempted to become nationalists in whatever country we find ourselves in, right? We're always tempted uh, by American politics or by whatever politics are associated with our, our earthly citizenry. But as we look at scripture, um, a summary statement we are only renters here. I, I use uh, a parable in the book. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. He has given it to humanity to use in our need, but not to abuse in our greed. Mm. And unfortunately, in our capitalism, in our economic norms in the United States, we are always driven to consume more and more and more. And uh, reality is that the faith statements of the Bible are that we are a Sabbath people. We're supposed to place limitations on how much we consume and constantly recognize that these resources are, are not ours to abuse. We're going to talk about this and so much more with Dr. Sandra Richter. We'd love for you to join the conversation at 877-LIVE-675. As Christians who do care for our environment, what things do we need to avoid in our public discourse? What should we be concerned about in recommendations and theories? We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. I am always grateful for those of you who support the program. I recognize that we are here every day because of God's grace, and that grace is so often expressed through your generosity. So thank you to all of our monthly partners, especially for your support of Equip. Our newest monthly partner, Levon, from Arlington Heights, Illinois. Thank you, Levon. What a blessing to know that you're standing with us supporting our ministry here at Equip. If these conversations are important to you, if taking on the real and relevant topics of our day with biblical answers and insightful guests and wisdom and resources from thought leaders within the body of Christ are important to you, if the uncompromising commitment to the gospel is important to you as we take on these real and relevant questions uh, I would ask that you would consider supporting the program. Now, our typical gift is about $30 from uh, friends who support the program, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, it is the collective generosity that allows us to be able to meet our budget at need every month. But just like you have a budget for your family, your household, so do we here at the ministry. The cost of airtime to be able to broadcast is uh, is uh, something that we take seriously. We want to have a testimony of both spiritual impact and good stewardship. 
And in order for us to have that testimony, we need not only the faithful gifts of our friends who often give at that $30 level, but we also need uh, those friends who each month do something above and beyond that level, Uh, larger gifts that act as a foundation upon which uh, we're able to have the testimony of good stewardship. So maybe today you can be one of those friends who can give a gift of $250 or $500 or $1,000 or more. Whatever the Lord lays on your uh, on your heart, I would ask that you would call today, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. Dr. Sandra Richter is my guest today. She's written a book called Stewards of Eden, what scripture has to say about the environment and why it matters. I would encourage you to go deeper into this uh, conversation uh, by studying her book, and I, I think it is one of the best and uh, would encourage you to consider it. I want to go to the phone lines. Ed is listening in Bermuda. Ed, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to Equip. What's your comment today in question? Okay. Uh, good afternoon, Chris. Uh, my question for Dr. Richter is, um, don't you think that often we as believers have been slow to recognize our responsibilities to the environment that God has created. And as a result, we've been delinquent and we allowed those more from the left wing liberal persuasion to, to basically shape the conversation and, uh, and to, to our own shame. Uh, don't you think we've been, again, very much delinquent in that area? Yeah. I appreciate you giving us a call. Ed, you stay on the line as a way of saying thank you for listening in your call. We're going to give you a copy, a complimentary copy of Dr. Richter's book. And it sounds like, Dr. Richter, this goes back to those three issues you outlined at the beginning of the conversation on why we're we're often hesitant to engage yes. this conversation. Yes, and I, I love that question because um, I think you're absolutely right that we, as uh, the citizenry of the kingdom, uh, we're afraid to take action on this topic. Uh, as I'll demonstrate in the book, our responsibilities to care for God's gift to us are reiterated throughout Israel's covenant and the new covenant. So where have we been on this this critical issue? And the answer is we've mostly sat on our hands regarding this issue. And as a result, just as you say, um, Secular society has shaped the conversation. They have stepped in and become the moral compass on a topic that we could have spoken to centuries before. And we've done the same thing with uh, the current conversations about race. We had the answer (laughs) uh, 2,000 years ago. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And we, instead of owning our own heritage and being willing to step out in front and lead, we sat back and followed. And now it is the reputation of our Lord and Savior that has been damaged because of his church's failure to take action. And I would say we've done the same thing with environmentalism to the point that the church is now afraid of the topic. Because again, the secular world has shaped the conversation and has made it an ideology as opposed to a response to the character of God. So thank you for your insightful question. 
Yeah, thank you Ed, for giving us a call. We'll take more of your calls in just a moment. Uh, one of the terms I've used in this conversation and often come up when we talk about creation care, sustainable agriculture, what is that? Mm-hmm. And, and is there uh, a case that can be made uh, in the scriptures for sustainable agriculture? Yes. So sustainable agriculture is simply that commitment that the fields I'm using today to raise corn, soybean, tomatoes will be as fertile for my children's generation as they were for mine. And soil is a living organism. Uh, Soil actually has to be maintained and um, uh, cared for in order that it will retain its fecundity. Isn't that a great word? (laughs) So uh, the biblical text, I know it feels like you're saying a dirty word and you're not. Um, Unless dirt, soil. Okay, back to the topic. So uh, sustainable agriculture is actually a huge issue in Levitical and Deuteronomic law. And uh, the way the ancients are going to make sure that their soil retains its fecundity is they're going to give it a Sabbath's rest. And that Sabbath rest um, is known as a, a fallow period if you're a farmer. And the idea is that once every seven years, you just let the field lie fallow. And not only do you let it restore itself, but you can actually help it restore itself by planting certain nitrogen-rich crops like, um, oh my gosh, uh, crown vetch is one of the uh, crops that will be raised. So you will perhaps help it by seeding it and letting it grow and then plowing that uh, that crop under. You can also release your livestock onto the field and let them browse whatever is coming up of itself, which not only allows the hooves of the animals to turn over the soil, but they uh, very generously drop their manure while they're in there um, grazing. So that uh, process of letting a field lie fallow is what the ancients did. Uh, we don't necessarily do fallow farming anymore, but the idea of paying attention to yes. the quality yeah. of the soil is what a modern farmer would do. But yes. instead of paying attention to the quality of the soil, what has become farming practice in our country is that we force the soil to produce by using chemical fertilizers, which then require chemical pesticides, which wind up stripping the soil of its fecundity, and we wind up with sterile fields. Uh, For the folks out there that are paying attention, an apple that you drop in your kid's lunch today is likely 30 to 40% less nutritious than the apple our parents dropped in our lunches because the soil no longer is as fertile as it once was. So attending to that principle of sustainable agriculture is what we're being called to do. And I'll often have folks when I present on this in a live audience say, what, do you want us all to become Iron Age farmers? And, And heck no. Uh, you are not going to strap your plow to a donkey and uh, you're, you're, you're not going to seed by hand in a modern environment. But the principle of keeping this land as fertile for our children's um, generation as it was for ours, that's a biblical command. And it's a biblical command that we, in our short-sightedness in this generation, are realizing 
oh my gosh, we've blown it. And the decimation of, of soil and sustainability is deeply impacting our current society. The Bible, uh, the, the, the biblical covenants of Scripture swing on the hinge pin of two laws, and that is to love the Lord. The Bible commands mm-hmm. this, that we're supposed to love the Lord, God, with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our minds, and we're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves. And it's from this framework that uh, these laws concerning the environment and creation care flow. And I think it's important that we remember that. One of the things that you make note of in your book is that, uh, and I'll just quote you directly, we all know that the widow and the orphan get top billing in the Mosaic Covenant. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. in James, it picks up on this. Um, how do these things affect widows and orphans? Oh, my gosh. I will place several case studies in the book regarding the impact on the widow and the orphan. Um, and what uh, your listeners and our readers will discover is that the widow and the orphan are the first to be impacted by environmental degradation. They are the first to go hungry. They are the first to be poisoned. They are the first to uh, lose their homes and be forced into urban migration. And that urban migration of a uh, small rural farmer in Haiti, for example, or Madagascar, or Nigeria, or um, Appalachia in the United States, Uh, will be defenseless when they are pushed into urban settings, uh, impoverished. They will live in the most dangerous and um, uh, run-down neighborhoods. Their children will be subject to crime and sex trafficking and all of the topics that are so hot today in social justice, all because they could not maintain the family farm. Uh, regardless of if that family farm deals with goats or chickens or a small patch of barley in the hinterland. Uh, We will see as well that one of the newest moves uh, in missionary endeavor and focus is environmental missions, where folks like Neil and Danielle Karlstrom um, give up their lives in the States to go teach the locals in Madagascar how to replant their indigenous trees so that those indigenous trees can be replanted in their waterways, which will allow the local fishermen to survive on waterways that are not choked with silt or polluted with industrial waste. Uh, This is a very uh, strong point of passion for me. The church at its best is the first community to step up and defend the widow and the orphan. And because we don't see the impact of environmental degradation on the widow and the orphan, we're not stepping up. But people like Plant With Purpose, they're stepping up. The Eden Project, they're stepping up. And uh, we need to support them in this quest to defend the widow and the orphan by defending uh, the environmental sustainability of their homes. We're going to take our last break. I want you to stay on the line. And if you are call, if you're calling in, uh, we're going to try to get to you. But um, I want you to stay with us in this conversation because where I want to land this plan when we come back 
is to have Dr. Richter give us just a couple of practical things that we can begin to do today. And I'm going to start that list by telling you the first practical thing you can do is to get informed and educated on what the Bible says about the environment and why it matters. You can do that by reading the book, Stewards of Eden. Take this seriously. It's an important conversation. That's why it was vital to me to have Dr. Sander Richter join us today. So can you go to our website, equipradio.org, get Dr. Richter's book, Stewards of Eden. We'll be right back. Every new year, we set goals and resolutions, but I've got one that every Christian needs to put on their list, memorizing scripture. It's a powerful and essential part of our spiritual growth. To show you how serious I am about it, I want to send you a book to help you get started. It's simply titled Memorizing Scripture. I'll send you a copy today with a gift of any amount. Call us at 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Dr. Sandra Richter is my guest today. She's professor of Old Testament at Westmont College. Um, I highly encourage you to find out more uh, about her, her ministry, as well as the book, Stewards of Eden, which is just one of uh, many works that she's done that I commend to you. Dr. Richter, uh, I really want to be practical. I, I'm, mm. I, I'd be remiss if I did not just acknowledge the, the dedication page of your book. And I think that's important mm. because you dedicate the book to your daughters. Yes. And, uh, and I think it's important because so, so much of this conversation has to do, yes, with our care for the widow and the orphan, our desire yes. to obey God's um, laws and concerns for our neighbor. But it also, as a parent, strikes me that there mm-hmm. should be a parental burden as well, yes. a parental yes. and a grandparent uh, parental uh, stewardship mm-hmm. that we should bring to this conversation. So uh, with that in mind, what are some practical things you recommend to take this from theory to application? Yes, and let me just echo what you said about a parental concern, because we're not the only parents in this mix. Uh, One of the primary metaphors uh, by which our God chooses to identify himself is as parent. And one of the things he is shouting in the Levitical and Deuteronomic law codes is, this is my land, you are my people, and I, I intend for this land to be as fruitful for the next generation as it was for you, because they're mine as well. And there is uh, this continuing message that, uh, <laughs> why are you going to make sure this land is fruitful for your children? Because it belongs to me, and I have a longer vision than you do. <laughs> so what are some of the practical things you can do? You've already started with Get Informed. And getting informed is critical. Um, I encourage your listeners to put down $25, $30 a year 
to subscribe to one of the bigger environmental magazines, the folks that have the resources to really tell us what's going on. So the Sierra Club, uh, the Nature Conservancy, Audubon. Now, you are not going to agree with everything that shows up in that magazine any more than you agree with everything that shows up in Good Housekeeping. But you're going to get informed and you're going to put a small portion of your income uh, where your concerns are helping to empower those organizations uh, to move forward on a global level. Another group I would really commend to your listeners is Plant With Purpose. It is a Christian organization whose entire ambition is to reverse what they would name as two of the world's greatest challenges, global poverty and environmental damage. And they are environmentally informed enough to know that those two things go hand in hand. They operate on a shoestring budget and they accomplish tremendous things. So look them up and again, help them do what we all know needs to get done. Um, I encourage your readers to vote an informed conscience uh, as you get informed. One of the nicer things that Sierra Club does for us in their magazine is they give us a list of candidates annually and tell us this is this person's track record on environmental concerns. Now, voting in the American climate is the diciest thing I do all year long. A lot of complexities. Yeah. How in the world am I supposed to be pro-life and pro-environment? How in the world am I supposed to be a a military kid and believe in small government? Uh, It's a mess. I know. But uh, still, I want to do my best to be responsible with that vote I have and responsible on environmental topics. And let me just say this. Let me just say this, that one of the things that I think is important when we talk about politics is oftentimes Mm -hmm. we, we we think of ourselves as voters, but I also want us to think of ourselves as potentially called to be candidates. In other words, there are some oh, who are yep. called to the field of polit- politics just as yes. much as you are called to the classroom. I'm called to the local church. There are those who are called to the halls of government. And Amen. we need men and women who are going to have a vision of saying, hey, I'm not going to allow these issues to be binary. I'm not going to allow the sanctity of life and care for creation to cause me to have to be bifurcated. I can bring these things together as well. So I just think that's important. Dr. Richter, I wish I had 10 hours with you. (laughs) Uh, Having you on, in my opinion, is a true gift and blessing. I can't thank you enough for the stewards of Eaton, but thank you for carving out time and thank you for writing this book and giving the wisdom you share today. God bless you, Dr. Richter. You too, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Friends, I want to encourage you to go to our website, equipradio.org, order the book. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.